Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of To The Point Podcast. It is Thursday, December 10th, a beautiful morning, and just here this morning to talk about some football. We saw a doubleheader on Monday night, and we actually saw Tuesday night football, which was originally Thursday night football, so if that's not 2020, I don't know what is, and then also just some news and notes throughout the week. So I'll start by talking about the Jets firing their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. I talked about this Monday, but he, he's been a defensive coordinator in the NFL for 22 years. He's known as an aggressive guy. I mentioned he was on the New Orleans staff when him and Sean Payton were suspended for a year for Bounty Gate, when they basically put a price on Brett Favre's head and they did all they could to hurt him during the game. Um, so he has a checkered pass. He's known to be a very cocky, cavalier person. But Sunday was kind of the final straw. He called an all-out blitz on the last play of the game against the Raiders. And if you know anything about football, on the last play, when there's no time on the clock, the team has to get in the end zone, right? So they're going to be throwing for the end zone. You can't throw something underneath because you have so many people playing back. You'll never be able to uh, mit, you know, miss that many tackles. I mean, the Miami miracle only happens you know, once every 10, 20 years. So... In this sense, he brings an all-out blitz. There's one guy back. He's an undrafted rookie, and he just gets torched. Uh, and Henry Ruggs catches the ball in the end zone, and the Jets are 0-12. Now, ownership is happy with this. They want the first overall pick. However, I think this is more of a player's issue. Marcus May, a team captain, a defensive, a pretty good defensive player. He's good for being on a bad team. After the game, he basically called out Greg Williams saying he didn't know what the hell he was doing. And it was just an eye-opener to see a player really be that forefront about his coach. So he he said that, and then I guess Gase, Adam Gase, head coach after the game, really wasn't very supportive either, which you can't blame him, but Gase is about as incompetent as a coach as anybody in the history of the NFL. So Greg Williams is fired. I think it makes sense, but I think they fired him for the wrong reasons. I think they fired him because it looks good. Like Jets, it was such a divide because I think Jets fans really wanted to lose that game. But then there's also, you know, the diehard fans that are saying, I don't want to be part of an 0-16 team. And no matter what people say about tanking and this and that, I don't believe there's tanking in sports because players don't just lose games. Those Jets players did not want to lose that game. Do you really want to be associated with, being 0-16 for the rest of your life? Because there's two other teams. Cleveland Browns, about four, four years ago, and then the 08 Detroit Lions. Do you really want to be in that category? Because those two franchises, I mean, you can make the argument. Cleveland's finally starting to turn it around. But the Detroit Lions, that was in 08. So they, they've been bad for a really long time, but they haven't recovered since. They're still that really bad team that, has like a black cat under their franchise where nothing good can happen. And the Jets, they're probably going to get the first pick. I, I don't see them winning another game. They got Seattle. I think they got the Giants for the end of the year. Um, and they got New, Eng- New England again. Um, but it doesn't really matter who they play. It they're, That was their game to win. They had it. They had it in their grasp, and I think ownership had to do a solid to some players, and 
mostly the fans and just say, oh, we really care this and that when, you know, we all know that Joe Douglas, the GM, probably will be fired. Adam Gase will be fired and uh, Black Monday, as they call it, after the final game, January 3rd, the final Sunday of the regular season, he'll be gone. So it was interesting. It happened. I thought uh, Anthony Lynn would be the one fired Monday. He, he hasn't been fired yet. He will be at the end of the season. They're three and nine, the Chargers head coach, and he's walking on thin ice there. But Greg Williams is out. I This might be his last round in the NFL. He was actually – on the Browns 0-16 team. He was the D coordinator at the time. So if he would have stayed out, you know, stayed through this season to the end, he could be a D coordinator on two 0-16 teams. That's a tough, that's a tough resume to sell to an employer. And I know sports is like an old boys club where you just recycle old coaches because it's, I don't know why, laziness, incompetence, or just hiring you know, a friend you know, inside baseball type, type uh, maneuvers. But I don't, I don't think he'll be a D coordinator again. Maybe he gets a job as like a linebackers coach or, you know, uh, a coordinator with a lower title, but I can't see him running a defense again after the past couple of years and just his reputation as a whole. In the NFC, we saw uh, Doug Peterson come out Tuesday afternoon and state that Jalen Hurts, their second round, rookie quarterback from the University of Oklahoma is the new starter for the Eagles. He's replacing Carson Wentz, who they have under contract for another four years. And he's signed a contract that's worth over a hundred million in fully guaranteed money. Now this brings up an interesting dilemma. The Eagles are three, eight and one. They're a disaster. They played new Orleans this weekend they're not going to win that game with Jalen Hurts. I don't think even with Taysom Hill, the, the Saints defense is the number one defense in football. And they, the Eagles offensive line, I mean, they run, they ran um, 27 pass plays and they got sacked seven times. Seven times. And Carson Wentz has been bad. Like it was his worst game by far, in my opinion, against Green Bay. He's had some bad ones but he missed some really open receivers, but his confidence is shot and you can't really blame him. The guy's been getting hit, hit all year. And I just think the body blows are starting to take a toll on him. But so Jalen Hurts is coming in. I think it's the right move for right now because that team needs a spark as crazy. It is. They could still win that division. They got the saints, which is, I don't see them winning, but then they have uh, Arizona and they play the Giants and the Washington football team, or uh, sorry, the Cowboys and the Washington football team to end their season. So they still have an outside chance. And I think the team needed a boost because Hertz came in the game, threw a touchdown pass. The, scene, the team seemed to have a little bit more energy. But this is tough. I think the only solution now that they're starting Jalen Hurts, and I can't see them going back to Wentz, you know, barring injury for the remainder of the season, they need to fire Doug Peterson because if they're going to keep Carson Wentz, you can't bring back the same offensive coordinator. He's a head coach, but he also runs the offense and have him work under him. I mean, he just replaced you and your confidence is low to begin with, but if you, if you're replaced, I don't see it working. So I agree in the short term, 
And, you know, some of you are probably wondering, well, they could just cut Carson once. Okay. They cut Carson once. It'll cost them six. It's almost, it's 59.7 million in dead cap money. That'll be on their books next year that they can't spend. It's sitting there. It's like a plague. You can't, you can't do anything with it. It's just there. So if they want to get out of Carson Wentz contract, then they basically, they hurt their team and they hurt their roster because unless Jalen Hurts is the answer and Jalen Hurts is second round pick, not making big money as a rookie or be a second year quarterback, but you can't cut him. And I can't see a team trading for him right now. He has no trade value. Sam Darnold, the quarterback of the Jets, has more trade value right now than Carson Wentz, in my opinion. Darnold's been a little bit more injury prone. Well, Carson Wentz is injury prone too, but you know, Darnold played well against the Las Vegas Raiders. He's played some decent games this year. And I don't know what you could get for Wentz because you gotta it'd have to be a sweetener deal because you gotta take that contract. And it's like I said, it's just a pile of shit that basically ends up in your doorstep and you're sitting there without a shovel. You don't know what to do with it. You just gotta you gotta breathe it in that smell for for however long. So for the Eagles, they need I agree, go with Jalen Hurts. If he's the if he's the answer, then you gotta make that tough decision. And maybe you cut him, but I think you got if Carson Wentz, I think you gotta give him a second chance next year, but it's with a different coach, with a different offensive coordinator, somebody that actually hopefully can believe in Carson. Maybe he wants out of Philadelphia, which I don't blame him because Doug Peterson has really hasn't called plays that suit him or given him receivers that are any good. So it's an interesting situation in Philadelphia. It's some of the more passionate fans in all sports. You know, if you look at combined Flyers fans, you know, Eagles fans, 76 fans, they will let you know when you stink. So it's lucky that you know, this is 2020 with the whole COVID-19 pandemic that you have uh, no fans in Philly to really boo Carson Wentz or the horror show that they put on the field every week. However, the NFC East, I know, has been regarded as a joke of a division, which it has been, but we started to see a bit of a turn. Sunday, the Giants won their fourth in a row. They're five and seven. And then Monday night, I think we saw the biggest upset of the season. I think the Giants over Seattle was it until the Washington football team went on the road to Pittsburgh and defeated the then undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a gutsy effort um, by the Washington football team. They The thing that's great about Washington, and they're tied with the Giants uh, for first. The Giants uh, own the tiebreaker because they've beaten Washington twice, but it's their defense. They play hard. The Giants and the Washington football team are different from Dallas and Philly in that they give you an honest effort every week. We know they're not the most skilled team. They don't have the most skilled quarterback. Alex Smith, he was a good quarterback, and then he nearly lost his life and his leg. But he is 3-1 and one as a starter this year. I don't know if there's a more inspirational story in 2020 than Alex Smith almost dead on operating table. He comes back, somehow is playing. And I get scared watching him because I, 
I really look up to this guy and I worry every time I see him take a snap because I don't want to see his leg bend or him get hit. And if you watch the game Monday night, I was, oh, I was scared. He, he, he dropped back the pass and his O-lineman stepped on his foot. It was really weird. I, and I thought originally it was his bad leg because at the bottom of his foot into his upper leg, it was like, a, it was like there was a sack of blood in his sock and he was completely red. And I was like, Oh no, but it was the opposite leg and his old lineman just stepped on him and something happened. It wasn't a big deal. Cause he came back to the game. He wrapped it, but it just shows you how much courage and how much strength this guy has. I think the Washington football team can't help, but want to play for him and their coach Ron Rivera. He, he uh, announced Um, week two of training camp that he had cancer he's gone through all his chemo treatment he rang the uh the bell of hope and um he's in kind of a remission stage right now but if you see a you know he was getting ivs during halftime he was getting to be able to coach it when you have something like that that's on your team i think it's it's a it's a power that you can't quantify it gives you more heart. It makes you want to do it more. And you know, this Washington team, they got lucky in the game too. Pittsburgh played pretty terrible. Um, ben, Ben actually didn't play that bad. He had the Pittsburgh receivers dropped seven balls. Eric Ebron dropped two. They counted two. I thought he dropped three. Deontay Johnson dropped three. He had just eaten a bucket of chicken before the game because he couldn't catch a damn thing. And they had some bad penalties. They uh, they had a touchdown taken away because uh, their best guard, Andrew Valenueva, was uh, blocking too far downfield, and he was ineligible. He was ruled as a receiver, so that got called back. Uh, Deontay Johnson, one of his drops, was for a touchdown. Um, and they failed on two fourth and ones. Some questionable play calls. They... On a fourth and one, this at the end of the game, the fourth quarter, they ran a wheel route, which a wheel route is when a running back lines outside next to the quarterback, and he basically runs around the right side of the O-line. And he he does that so he can get extra blocking. The receivers are kind of committed to the blocking too. And the quarterback just kind of throws you a fade, and you catch it. But Ben threw it to TJ McFarlane, and he's – a third year running back, but he's got three catches on the year. And it did make sense to me to have him. I, if I was Pittsburgh, they don't, they didn't have a, they had a, they only had 21 rush yards for the whole game, but I would have put Chase Claypool at receiver in the backfield above him. Uh, Even Deontay Johnson, chicken, uh, chicken fingers. I would have put him back there. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster is a good receiver. I like, Put somebody you trust. You don't throw somebody on fourth down. You do not throw it to somebody that you don't know can catch the ball. In that situation, it's like a kicker. If you have if you have a 45-yard field goal and it's like fourth and two and you don't feel good about your kicker, then you got to go for it. Because you got to have some confidence in your kicker that he's going to do it. This game too, uh, Pittsburgh kicker Chris Boswell was out for the game. So they had a, a rookie... Uh, Matthew Wright in and he they didn't trust him 
Because on that fourth and one, they could have kicked a field goal and they would have went up by three. They didn't. They went for it on fourth down and it resulted in a turnover on downs. Washington then went down the field. Dustin Hopkins got a field goal. Pittsburgh did have time on the clock, but uh, Montez Sweat, 26 overall two years ago, got his hand on the ball and uh, Jonathan Bostic intercepted it. And that ended the game. Um, but the best, what Washington still has a chance and it's because their defense, Alex Smith is not what he used to be, which you can all understand, but they got Terry McLaurin. Logan Thomas is emerging as a really a stud tight end. He can do a lot of different things for that offense, but they got four first round picks in their D line. They got Ryan Kerrigan. He's been around for close to 10 years now, but he's still plays at a high level. They got Montez Sweat, as I mentioned. They got De'Aaron Payne and Jonathan Allen from Alabama. These guys are all drafted in the first round, and they've all been pretty good hits. Some of them, the highest one was uh, eight, but they have like Sweat was 26 overall. Um, Payne was in the teens, and they've all hit. And if you can get constant pressure on a quarterback, you have a chance. You have to. We saw the Tennessee Titans, a good team. They didn't get any pressure this weekend on Baker Mayfield, and he threw a party. Ben Roethlisberger didn't have as much time. And to be quite frank, I don't know if they're not allowing him or if he can't throw down the field anymore. He gets the ball out so quick, which is effective. It's smart in today's NFL because pass rushers are really, really good. And I forgot to mention the Washington football team has Chase Young on their defensive line too. He went second overall a year ago. He's a stud. So they they have a chance because they do that. Now, when it comes to Pittsburgh, you know, I listen to shows and a lot of them are overreacting, in my opinion. Um, you know, this is their first loss. It happens overreaction Tuesday on this behalf because it was Monday Night Football. But, you know, Pittsburgh was 11-0 and in 12 weeks. That's not by fluke. Um they're, they're a good team, but their biggest, biggest flaw is they cannot run the football. Their starting running back, James Conner, was out, but even he's not an elite back. They don't have that back that you feel good about, and they don't have a great uh, run-blocking O-line. They're way better at pass-blocking, just protecting Ben. But it's going to be really tough to win the AFC without a run game because you need to chew clock. To be at a Kansas City, your offense has to be your defense in the sense that you possess the ball for large periods of time. The same against like a Buffalo Bills. You need to have the ball more than them. And if you can keep getting chew clock, pick up, you know, get third and three, run the ball, pick up three yards, keep moving the sticks. It keeps the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines because then you control the game. They, If they only have three minutes, they have three minutes, and they're stuck. And if you control the ball, then you have a chance to win every week. But they don't have that ability. They have a great track team of receivers, really good receivers. And their defense is really good. They lost Bud Dupree, which is going to really hurt them. They also – Joe Hayden was hurt in the game, one of their starting corners. So their defense is starting to get beat up a little bit. 
but with TJ Watt, you always have a chance. I think he's going to win defensive player of the year. He had a four, like he was getting double, triple team in that game. And he, he had a forced fumble sack three tackles for losses. He, he's just, he's what JJ was, you know, five, six years ago. Um, but Pittsburgh is in tough. I, they're tied with Kansas City. They still have the number one seed in the AFC, but I don't think they will at the end of the year. Um, this Sunday, they got the Buffalo Bills, who played in the second part of Monday Night Football, and they, they're a damn good football team. Josh Allen, he went seventh overall in 2018. Baker Mayfield went first. Uh, Lamar Jackson for the Ravens went the last pick 32nd. And then Josh Rosen, who's now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice squad, went 10th. And oh, Sam Darnold went third to the Jets. So that was kind of the, the talk of the draft. But he he's the best quarterback in the draft. And Lamar Jackson won an MVP last year. But he's the best quarterback in the draft, you know, so far in their career. He went 32 for 38, 375, four touchdowns to four different receivers. And he, it was like he was a surgeon. They couldn't do anything to him. And he's such a threat because he can run. The dude's 6'5, 240. He's a truck. He's a, he's a white Cam Newton, but with a better arm and better accuracy. Progressively is, is each year he's progressively gotten better. So his first year, he had only a 53% completion, which is terrible. Then went up to 60. He's up to like 64% this year. The dude can play and he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players to watch just because he, he just, he can do it all. And he's got that quiet swagger about him. You know, he didn't go to a power five school in college football. He went to Wyoming. And if he went to a power five school, because he went seventh, mind you, and he played at Wyoming. Playing at Wyoming is like playing uh, it's like playing high school football at Moncton High. It's not – they're talking about hockey. They don't give a shit about football. Um, so in this sense, he if he played at a power five school – so say he's from the California area. If he played college football at USC, he would have went first overall. No doubt in my mind. No doubt. Because Baker looks really good too. That like he's hitting in that draft. But Baker's six feet and he's he's a smaller quarterback. And Josh Allen, Josh Allen probably has a bigger arm than Patrick Mahomes. He there's videos of him throwing a football 80 yards. And it's on target. He doesn't do that in the game every game, mind you. But he can throw the deep ball. He can throw intermediate. He can do it all. They acquired Stefan Diggs in the offseason. That was the biggest free agent, uh, trade, uh, free agent slash trade acquisition in all of football, in my opinion. Because he, Stefan Diggs, he trusts him. He has 92 catches, leads the NFL. And another... A small guy that they got is Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley played for the Cowboys. They called him Measley Beasley. A lot of the media did love Cole Beasley. But he's a slot receiver. He's a small guy, but he's got great hands. And he can run every route you want him to. And Cole Beasley, um, Monday night, had seven catches for 112 yards in the first half. First half. 
And Josh Allen throws it to him every time he needs somebody he relies on. Diggs can be a bit a bigger play receiver, but you got you got Cole Beasley there when you need him. You get a third down, he's throwing he throws it to Beasley more than Cole Beasley has more third down receptions than anybody in football. He's he's great. But the Bills, the Bills play the Steelers this Sunday night, Sunday night football on NBC. And I'm not going to say my pick yet. Uh, I'll save that for Saturday morning show. But Steelers are in tough because the Chiefs, the likelihood of them winning out, they got New Orleans, which Drew Brees might be back in week 15. So you never know. That's their toughest game. And they're going to New Orleans. So but other than that, I don't see them losing again. So Steelers basically got to go perfect or hope for one loss, but they play – they play before the end of the year. They play Sunday night against Buffalo. Then they got Cincinnati and Monday night. So there's a bye week. Then they got Cleveland, which is going to be tougher. Pittsburgh owned them in the first matchup. I think Cleveland will come up with a much better effort. And they got Indy. So Indy's going to be desperate for a win. Same as Cleveland. They got a tough schedule. And you know, if you get a couple losses and Buffalo beats them, who knows, maybe Buffalo, if they went out, they leapfrog them and they end up third after starting 11 and 0. Nothing surprises me. Because after watching that Washington game and um, the game, uh, the Bills game, I just texted my mother and I said, I love this sport. It's more captivating than any other sport because every game means something. You can, I, I love 82 games of NHL. I'm not going to complain about the length because if there wasn't 82, then what the hell else am I going to watch? I'm going to be back in March when I was in a depression. But when you have college football and football and the NFL, every game has such a premium. You need to, there's 16 weeks, 16 games, 17 week season. You need to win every game. And if you don't, you're going to suffer the consequences and you get, you get more upsets because it's such a, it's a one game thing. You're game planning for that one team. So Washington beating Pittsburgh yesterday has so much more meaning than, you know, a January 18th game between uh, Detroit and the Boston Bruins. Detroit beat Boston twice last year, but does that really mean anything? No. Detroit had 18 wins. And nobody really remembers that, but every, people remember the Washington football team beating the Pittsburgh Steelers because Pittsburgh was undefeated. I mean, you go, you're lucky in the NHL if you go undefeated for your first five, six games, and it's over. That narrative is dead. We had the Pittsburgh Steelers going undefeated until December. This narrative you can put on you can put on screen every week and sell it. You can't do that in hockey. You can't do that in football, baseball, uh, sorry, uh, basketball and baseball. You got to build your own storylines, but the sport is so unpredictable that it just makes for, for really, really fun games and fun decisions. So, and then we get to Tuesday and another AFC North team, uh, Baltimore Ravens were uh, hosting America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. 
Um, and the Baltimore Ravens put a beating on the Dallas Cowboys. Baltimore, Baltimore ran the ball for 298 yards. 298. And just to put this into perspective, the Dallas Cowboys as a franchise have been around for a long time. Long time. Before this season, they've given up one game of over 285 yards rushing. That's over 60-plus years of history. This season, they've given up two. Just this year, 2020. Their defense is terrible. I, I don't know if there's a worse one in football, honestly. The Jets had better numbers than them defensively. The Jets. Jags have better numbers than them defensively. They, Lamar Jackson threw... <coughs> 12 passes Tuesday night, the whole game. And he threw for 107 yards. They won 34-14, but that's besides the point. They, Baltimore won the game, but he, he threw 13 pass. He threw 13 passes, 12 passes. Sorry, 12 passes. And he ran Lamar just himself 13 times. For 84 yards. So he ran more than, and it was so obvious. This, I don't, when you're playing against Lamar, you want to make him throw because he threw some, he only had five incompletions. Like I said, he only threw the ball 12 times, but he had one to start the second half. They were starting their drive. It was a third and three. He had Miles Boykins just on a shallow cross. It's where you basically run to the middle of the field. It's it's an easy route. And he ran a good one. F- fine. He was wide open, Miles Boykin. And Lamar just sailed it on him. Wasn't even close. I think he was throwing it to his mother back home. Wasn't even close. And that's what you want to make him do. And the Cowboys did that once and was really lucky because he was wide the hell open. And it, if the target, if the throw was on target, he's in the house. Touchdown. But the whole game, it seemed, to, it seemed to almost mesmerize them that Lamar Jackson is a good runner. Uh, he was in the top 10 last year for rushing yards, and he's a quarterback. So that surprises you. Hmm. Yeah, he had 30, 13 times for 84 yards, touchdown. He threw two touchdowns, one to Hollywood Brown with a nice, beautiful rainbow in the back of the left corner of the end zone. And then um, another one to Miles Boykin. But they ran the ball down their throat. J.K. Dobbins, Lamar, uh, Gus Edwards, they all had over 60 yards rushing. And the Cowboys are in a tough spot. They, they're they 3-9. Like the Eagles, they still have a chance in the NFC East because Washington and the Giants are 5-7, and seven, so they have a two-game lead. But – they have a softer schedule. They got Cincinnati this Sunday, which should be a win. I know, but should be. Um, they got the Eagles, the Giants. Another game. It's out of, out of conference game. Forget it. But um, they play one more game against a not – oh, San Francisco. Sorry, San Francisco in week 15. That was supposed to be on Sunday football, but got flexed. Um, so they got San Fran who's depleted. They don't got George Kittle, no Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. So, and the Eagles, 
the Eagles are as bad as the Cowboys, so that's going to be quite a game. But they have a chance, but really it doesn't matter because if you win that division, is you can't really jump up and down about winning a terrible division. I mean, you can take some pride in it, but the Dallas Cowboys at this year, and Jerry Jones will have to eat it, but Mike McCarthy's probably going to get fired. It's his first year, but he's looked completely out of touch. He got fired in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers basically got tired of him not innovating. He wanted an innovating head coach, new ideas, new thoughts. And we haven't seen anything new in Dallas. Um, he hired Mike Nolan, who hadn't been a coordinator in the NFL since 2014. And really the reason he hired Mike Nolan is because Mike Nolan hired him when he was head coach in San Francisco way, way back. And he got, that was when he got his first offensive coordinator job. So he was basically doing a friend a favor, which in that business, it's not normally the greatest thing to just have your friend come work for you when he's not the most qualified. And Jerry doesn't like to admit he's wrong, probably more than anybody in the world, but he, he's going to have to own it. Mike McCarthy has not been a good head coach. And he only interviewed two people for the job. And this is, this is such cronies in here. He interviews Mike McCarthy and he interviews Marvin Lewis, who used to be the head coach in Cincinnati. He's there for 15 years. But the reason he interviewed Marvin Lewis is because there's this rule in the NFL. It's called the Rooney rule made by um, the Pittsburgh Steelers owner, the Rooney family, probably the best ownership group in the NFL. They've had three coaches in the last 54 years. That's all you got to know. They have a stable organization. They do things the right way and they're competitive. Um, but the Rooney rule that they got implemented is that teams are, it's not forced, but you're, you have to be interviewing black head coach coordinator candidates, which I think is a great rule. Cause I know it sounds ridiculous and you're like, Oh, we got to do this. But if it wasn't there, they wouldn't get interviews. They wouldn't. Because there's not a, there's in a sport that's predominantly black, the amount of black head coaches that you see is is really quite staggering. It it's upsetting, honestly, because there's a lot of really good qualified people. You know, I think of Lewis Riddick on Monday Night Football. Listen to him the next time on Monday night, it's uh, Browns Ravens. Listen to that game. He's bald, black, uh, great shape, black guy. He used to play football, he used to play in the NFL. Listen to him call the game, how much football he knows. He should be a GM. He's interviewed three times, three different spots, and he didn't get it. And a white guy got it. And there's another correlation here. Every owner is white in the NFL. But anyway, this Rooney rule, back to the Cowboys. You So they have to interview one black candidate, which... Marvin Lewis, check, and interviewed Mike McCarthy. That was it. He didn't interview anyone else, and he got the job. And really, he got the job because he won a Super Bowl in Green Bay in 2010. So good for him. He does have hardware on his resume, but you don't interview anybody else? Nobody? And it's been a mess. I don't see him surviving. So next year, the only way he does is if Jerry Jones is just so 
proud that he won't admit that he made a mistake. So I guess we'll see where that takes us. But that it's a mess in Dallas. The Ravens are now seven and five. They're still on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs, but they're in a better position. They got the Browns Monday night, which will be a must-see game. That's a huge game when it comes to the Browns proving to themselves more and also the Ravens staying in the playoff hunt in the AFC because you may need 11 wins to get into the playoffs. It's that log jammed at the top with Miami and Indy both at eight and four. You know, they're going to need some help and they're going to need to play some good football down the stretch. But, you know, Lamar looked better. I'll give him that. He played a pretty good game, but it's not going to be an easy stretch here for the Baltimore Ravens. So that leads us into tonight, Thursday night football. So many games this week. I love it. Um, it's the six and six New England Patriots visiting the Los Angeles Rams. So this will be it's a short week for both. Um, New England won at the Chargers on Sunday, forty-five to nothing. So they don't have to go far. They play in the same stadium, so they'll be familiar with the surroundings. The new stadium this year, SoFi Stadium, just beautiful, beautiful facility. Um, but the Rams are three and two in their last five games. They're they should be way better. They're eight and four, and that's a good record, but they should be better than that. They have an elite, they have the best defensive player in football in Aaron Donald. They have the best corner, Jalen, Ram- Jalen Ramsey's right there. If he's not, he's a stud corner. Xavier Howard is pretty good for the Dolphins, too. But Ramsey can go ahead there with any receiver. They got they got a good run game. They got three guys that they kind of ref. They got Daryl Henderson. Uh, they got Malcolm Brown and they got Cam Akers and they all get carries, which I like because you don't get one guy beat up. You know, they had Todd Gurley forever. He took a lot of hits. They cut him and now he's in Atlanta really might be his last year in the league because he's, his body's just so broken down. That's what happens to these running backs. But if the, if the Rams had a better quarterback, they would be a Super Bowl threat. Jared Goff just hasn't been it. He went first overall in 27, 2016, sorry. And um, he just, he's missing something. There's games where he looks great out of this world. Last week against Arizona, he played really well. But it seems to be one game he's great, and then the next game he throws for 180 and two picks. And if he had some consistency, or if, if, if the Rams had a Ryan Tannehill, I think they could go, they'd be in the Super Bowl in the NFC because there's no great team in the NFC yet. There hasn't been one that established themselves. So, but they got a great defense, the sixth ranked defense in the NFL against the seventh ranked defense in uh, New England. So, it's going to be a, a dogfight um, in this game. I think it'll be close. I do have the Rams winning it. I just, I think their defense can limit Cam. They're going to know that New England's going to want, want to run the ball. Damian Harris um, has emerged, great running back from Alabama for New England. You know, Cam can still run the football, but if the Rams can do what the Chargers couldn't do, is just tighten up their special teams, they should be in good shape because New England can't beat them going offense for offense. That won't work. Um, they got too many weapons in L.A., and if they can limit the turnovers – I think it'll be a close game. I'll say uh, 
28-24 Rams, but it's another really good game. It's got huge uh, playoff implications. Uh, Rams are currently first in the uh, NFC West. New England's got to win this game to stay in the wild card hunt. So both teams will be desperate and expect another close game. Uh, we saw you know, Washington edged edge at Pittsburgh at three points. It was a 10 point game in the Buffalo win 34, 24 over San Francisco, but this will be another big game towards the weekend. Uh, you know, there's four weeks left. So to the end here, every game is important. Just like every week is important in the NFL, but right now it's crunch time. You got to win and you got to hope to get lucky somewhere down the road. So yeah, that's basically all we got to say today. Uh, upcoming, Tonight, actually, I'll be interviewing um, Craig Eagles. He's a QMJHL scout. He's a scout in the uh, Maritime Hockey League, which is Junior A for the Fredericton Red Wings. We're going to be talking about his kind of journey to becoming a scout, um, scouting in general, what the game is missing right now. Uh, scouting just fundamentals, just playing fundamentals, and what, what kids aren't doing now that they're being taught 10, maybe five, even five, 10 years ago, when it comes to simple fundamentals of hockey, we're talking breakouts. We're going to talk about defensemen, defensive defensemen being so undervalued. Um, and also registration, you know, why is registration in New Brunswick really down right now for hockey? It just seems to be in a bit of a depression state. And we're just going to, we're, we're going to be talking about hockey and uh, hopefully you all can uh, tune into that tomorrow. It'll be available and all our social media platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, the works, you know, you know how it is. And um, no, I just really appreciate it. Uh, be interviewing Craig Saturday morning. I'll be joined by my my friend, Matt Wright, who is the uh, program director for Champions Hockey and uh, based out of Fredericton. But yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, fun interviews and conversations upcoming here on To The Point. So as always, uh, thank you for the support and we'll talk soon.